how old are you? I'm 19. I turned 19 in October. I just um, turned 19. <laughs> this is Oslin Johnson. How did your parents react when you told them that you were writing legislation? Um, shock. Honestly, I think for like maybe the first several months or probably a year, they had no idea what I was doing because... Oslin Johnson is in college now, but she started writing this law, a law that was just signed by the president four years ago when she was still in high school. It started as an assignment for her history class. So it was about, I think, several months before my family realized that I'm not working on a school project like I'm lobbying Congress. The law Oslin co-wrote, it's called the Civil Rights Cold Case Records Collection Act. It makes it possible for families and researchers to access investigative records for more than 100 unsolved racially motivated crimes. Crimes committed years before Oslin was born, far from where she lives. It seems crazy to think about now, but this whole process felt really organic from the beginning. In our curriculum, we were talking about um, civil rights era. We started with the case of the 16th Street Church Baptist bombing. 18 days after the March on Washington, Birmingham, Alabama, a bomb exploded in the 16th Street Baptist Church just before a Sunday morning service. 15 people were injured. Four children were killed. The four little girls that got killed, I remember it just struck you as like, this is devastating. This is a case I'd never heard about until I'm sitting in an AP government class in high school. Learning about cases like this one, it made Oslin think about what history was available to her and what history wasn't. We started talking more about other people, other cases in the civil rights era, cases that you wouldn't have heard about because they weren't MLK, you know, they weren't the most notable figures of the civil rights movement, so their stories weren't necessarily given coverage. The truth of these stories it was often locked away in old police records that were redacted, sometimes unavailable, even to the families of victims. When Oslin started looking at this history, she found she couldn't look away. That church bombing in Birmingham, it seemed eerily similar to Dylan Roof's attack on a Charleston church in 2015. Jim Crow-era murders of black men seemed like the gruesome ancestors of police shootings she'd watched on YouTube and Facebook Live. And for me, my brain just connected them and saying, if we continue to cower away from this past, however heinous it is, how can we realistically expect to deal with what we're dealing with presently in an appropriate, respectful, empathetic way? The law Aslan helped write, it came from an idealistic place. But getting it passed, getting it signed, that required compromise. Today on the show, Oslin and her high school history teacher, the one who helped lead this legislative effort, they're going to talk about how they got this work done, the years of effort it took, and the surprising allies they found along the way. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, what do you call him now? My sister actually yelled at me because I just call him Wexler. And she's like, it's Mr. Wexler. <laughs> and I'm like, Even I my just current call students calls me, call me Wexler, so yeah. I don't mind. The first thing you need to know about Oslin Johnson and her teacher is that as they wrote this litigation, pushed it through Washington, they became a team. Oslin and Wexler, literally, they finish each other's sentences. You also need to know that Wexler is a certain kind of teacher. In his spare time, he writes books. He actually teaches at the same high school he attended himself two decades ago. I've been a history nerd in the nerdiest sense of the terms for a very, very long time. Like, we would go on field trips to Washington, D.C., and I would go to an archive at 17 years old. So it makes sense that Wexler is also the kind of history teacher who assigns his students to file FOIAs, Freedom of Information Requests. That's how Oslin and Wexler noticed this curious lack of information around civil rights cold cases. Even a case that had already been solved, like the 16th Street Baptist bombing, we requested files on that and still got redactions, even though there had already been prosecutions on that case. Even though that was part of the public record. It should have been, yeah. It was one of the few cases that actually got, you know, prosecution. Well, if I could clarify, it -hmm. it actually is online part of the public record. Mm -hmm. It's just the level of redactions are ridiculous for a case that's 50 years old. Yeah. And I maybe have a little bit more insight into it than most because... For my research, at one point, I went down to the Birmingham Public Library, and I went through the unredacted versions that the attorney general of Alabama had left in the library there so I could do comparisons. Hmm. You know, some of this was I had gone through some of the process that they had gone through on my own because I file FOIAs quite a bit. So I knew in the back of my mind that they were going to get frustrated. But it was a good learning moment. It was a good frustration (laughs) because then a frustration that leads to action. I mean, I feel like many of our listeners would be familiar with the four little girls from Birmingham, Alabama, or with Emmett Till's case. Yeah. But what I think is interesting about the work you're doing is that you're trying to shine a light on a whole bunch of other cases that people might not be familiar with. I'm wondering if, was there one case in particular where it stood out to you and you just, the details stuck with you? There are a number of cases, actually. It would be very difficult to not have that moment several times of just being stunned by the details. Um, the Elmer Bowling case. So with the Elmer Bowling case, this was a, a, a businessman who got killed for a suspected, they said it was a suspected love triangle, but really the person who killed him had their own motive. Um, it, it was kind of known. It was generally known who did it. Who did it. But they got away with it. They got away with it. Nothing happened. And and that, that motive is what his daughter had to spend 30 years of her own personal time, her life, 30 years of her life, trying to figure out what happened to her father. Something like that just can't leave your head. And if that's not, you know, a motivation to try to do something or at least support something like this, then I don't know what to say. <laughs> This class of high schoolers wanted to craft a bill that would help them do their research, but also help out people like Elmore Bowling's daughter. They knew next to nothing about writing legislation, so they looked around for a blueprint, and they found one. The JFK Records Collection Act exists of 92, 
And that pretty much had the same idea of releasing records to the public that the country deserves to know, but it was pertaining to his assassination records. Why not use the same model, the same idea, and have it be geared towards civil rights? You're accomplishing essentially the same thing, but just a different subject. So you started with that bill. We yes. started with that bill. We modeled this entire piece of legislation off of the JFK Records Collection. And then, we, uh, and then they ran into a different issue, which was the toughest part of the whole bill is going to be the definitions. Yeah. And that you can't... Like what qualifies as a civil so, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the then, they, then they decided, you know what? We don't have to reinvent the wheel there either. We're recycling something that had worked before, but using it to service a different population. So you're describing building this bill as like kind of building a Lego tower. You're yeah. like taking some bricks from over here mm-hmm. and then you're putting it together with these bricks from over there. Mm-hmm. So but so once you had this bill, what did you do then? Did you start <laughs> calling people? We, did you is... did you have people's pictures up on the wall and you're like sort of thinking like have we called them yet? So, like what does it look we like? We probably should have had a large <laughs> drawing board like string. Well, we should and... have had a murder board. <laughs> so so the thing I I decided to do was to give them and I completely cribbed these so no one should give me any credit for it. I gave them Wexler's four rules of politics. Mm-hmm. And it was a small sheet that sort of explained basically four things. All politics is local, which may require a little bit of revision, um, <laughs> that American politics is done in groups, that Socializing the politics issue. is the socialization of conflict, and that the American political system offers many access points, but those access points can just as easily be veto points. Mm-hmm. And with those four things, I, hmm. I decided it, to it task worked. force them. <laughs> one so group, what did that look like? One yeah. group focused um, on representatives in certain areas, like our own representatives, our own state representatives. Um, So someone would say these couple of people on the committees that we anticipated we'd go into because we researched which committees this bill would go to. We say everyone in these committees, whatever state they're at, research access. What about their state? Who who do you know in that state? Do you have relatives in their state? How can what's the best point of contact for those people based on where they are, which where they represent? Then um, another group focused on getting media attention. We're just contacting any magazine news outlet so that's the politics is the socialization of conflict exactly so did so did class look like phone banking Uh, on some days that was like my you if you came to my class and you didn't know what i was doing Mm -hmm. i would be in all kinds of trouble because (laughs) there was kids all on their phones but not just in my room we would, would send them out into, into the, the hallway stairwells, into the hallways. Office. I remember right? the, there was a secretary's office right across from his classroom. And every time I would step out there on my cell phone, I had his class at 830 to 930. So at nine o'clock, I'm anticipating, OK, the intern should be arriving. The person sitting at the phone. So you'd start calling. I'd start calling. I'd go out and she'd stare at me the entire time, figuring out, trying to figure out what I would do. <laughs> I think it was like a good couple of weeks before I like walked up and said, this is what I'm doing so that, like, I don't get in trouble and he doesn't get in trouble as our teacher. But yeah. When did you first go to Washington to start talking to folks in Washington about we went the to bill? Our first trip was in 2016. Yeah, it was in the it was in the spring of 2016. Mm-hmm. And it was around. The t- and you tell me we if hadn't I'm wrong, gotten I'm introduced a, yet. We hadn't gotten introduced, but we had we had a, it, Bobby Rush's interest. Yep. So Bobby Rush is a United States representative from Chicago. Um, we didn't know when or if he would introduce, Deuce. but we knew he was, he was interested well, in legislation. Well, I remember thinking that we were going to go down. This was my fault because I got people's hopes up. Yeah. That when we go down, 
he's going to introduce us. Yeah. And I mean, I should have been thinking more clearly, but I thought just, that's why so he excited. said, yeah, come over to my office. Bobby Rush, the only person to ever beat Barack Obama in an election, anybody, is a lot more of a shrewd politician than we realized at the time and sh much shrewder than we were. And what he was doing the whole time was thinking ahead. He was thinking ahead. He was waiting this out very deliberately. Instead of introducing us right away when we're all so excited, like Bobby Rush is interested in this piece of legislation, we thought we're going there, he's going to introduce us right there. But he was thinking strategically, which we weren't doing at the time, saying, this session of Congress is about to be over. You're limiting your own window. Why not wait till the next next session of Congress starts so you have you. that entire session? Then I'm going to, he basically bought us two years. Yeah to get ourselves into the Senate. So the class takes that time that Bobby Rush gives them, and eventually they get their bill introduced in the House, but they've still got to get the bill in front of the Senate. And by a stroke of luck, they get this way in. Doug Jones, who just decided to run for a Senate seat in Alabama. We had been in contact with Doug Jones before he even decided to run. Yeah, he was a natural ally for the bill because he prosecuted he yeah. civil rights cases. But exactly. we never thought he was going to run for the Senate. And even when he ran, we sure as heck didn't, didn't think, think he, he was going to win. You probably remember Doug Jones' election. He was the long shot candidate. But when he won, this class of kids in New Jersey thought, this is our chance. Within his first few months in office, Senator Jones invited Wexler and his students to come to Washington and watch him introduce their bill on the floor of the Senate. So he ranges it for July 2018. And every student who I could get to go, including future students that yeah, were going to be gonna in the class, the, class the, the next year, but all the way going back to Austin in the first year, we're going to go. And he, he meets us all. He and his staff are amazing. Yeah. And then he rushes us through the Senate into the Senate gallery. And we're watching. As he's and the students learned something I know. Like, basically, no senators were there. There was one other senator for another purpose. There was Doug Jones, and Ted Cruz was presiding. So it's like Doug Jones, Ted Cruz, and the C-SPAN camera. Uh, yeah, and pretty much. Yeah, yes. in this empty room. Yes. Pretty much. But, I mean, we're on cloud nine because he directly cites our class. Yeah, he says in, the students from Heightstown High School, he said, he said, he said who we were. He said it on the floor of the Senate. We're like— yeah. Wow. We're sitting there just overlooking. We're going to be in the congressional record. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> a little woo-woo. Yeah, yeah. We were, <laughs> we're just set, stunned. We're like... stunned. This legislation would not have been possible without the dedicated efforts of students at Heightstown High School in Heightstown, New Jersey, and their teacher, Stuart Wexler, who have joined me in the gallery today. And what's interesting is after that, because they've been working to try and get co-sponsors for him. And I said, hey, if you didn't see this speech, you wouldn't know how powerful it was. And I got to tell you, I know why Doug Jones was a real good prosecuting attorney because he made an amazing closing argument. But there was only one person there. But heck, why don't you go ask Ted Cruz what he thought about what that he speech. thought about that? Because if he saw that speech and he wasn't moved, there's something wrong with him. <laughs> and I, I hear laughter. We won't go there. Um <laughs> And Ted Cruz, sure enough, became the first and most ardent sponsor on the Republican side in the Senate. Yeah. And so with that bipartisan support, as the new year approached, it seemed like this bill had momentum. You've been working on this for years. 
And all of a sudden, December of this past year, Senate's in motion, Mm -hmm. House is in motion. I mean, it must have felt amazing. It did until about three or four days later when it was the inertia feeling by a factor of five. We're in a government shutdown. We're in a government shutdown. We need the president to sign sign the bill. And we have no idea why he isn't signing it. Yeah. We actually went on govtrack.com, which I practically lived on that site, um, tracking see if the president had signed other bills that were put on his desk at the same time as ours was. And we we're just trying to figure out, like, what's happening. Maybe maybe those got to him first. Maybe something, you know, what's happening? Because we thought we were really scared of getting a pocket veto. After all this hard work, getting through the Congress seemed like so monumental and then to to die because we need a signature. A pocket veto is just like, I just don't sign it. Yeah, right. if he doesn't sign it. Yeah. Um, and also we're thinking about like a new session of Congress is starting like we need this to be signed. That was the worst feeling in the world thinking that it would die there. Right. And we didn't have any idea why these other mm-hmm. bills were getting through. Almost everything that was sent to the president on the same day. Yeah. Day after day, they were getting signed. Huh. And we weren't getting signed. So so what'd you do then? Well, we started a whole community-wide, not just our school, but our whole community. We started tweeting at the president, at the White House. Wexler and his class recruited literally the entire school to help them. They had kids set up alerts on their phones. So as soon as the president tweeted about anything, they'd reply. They tweeted at Kim Kardashian, at Kanye, anyone with the president's ear trying to get Trump to sign this bill into law. And then he did. You might have oh, been the person I, I, first person I talked to. Yeah, you put it in a group chat. The message was so simple. It was just like, we passed. <laughs> Your bill got passed. <laughs> Good job. That was, that, was liter- that was pretty much it. Your bill got passed. Good job. Maybe an exclamation point. <laughs> My mom came upstairs because she'd been hounding me to go eat dinner. And I just said... The bill got passed like it just it just got signed. And then like I just I just cried. Just like reflecting on that whole thing, I'm just thinking now if this entire effort wasn't bipartisan from the beginning, none of this would have happened because, you know, students with various, you know, political moral ideologies, you know, like you don't know what everyone's thinking, which candidates they support or not, but just everyone being willing to to speak to you and reach out to whoever they needed to to get this passed. When you say bipartisan from the beginning, you're talking about the students. The students, yeah. Our classroom, it's not all like you think you're in New Jersey, you know. There was always a handful, (laughs) not many, of of conservatives in in my class. I mean, it was generally reflective of the state of New Jersey, but I love having other kinds of voices in my class. Yeah, it definitely made conversations more interesting, but I just loved that on an effort like this that most people might say, oh, well, obviously you'll you'll get just Democrats. You'll get mostly Democrats. But the biggest contributions I think personally I made I getting the our Republican co-sponsors, Absolutely. you know, like and I'm I'm a black student involved in this process and I'm the one contacting the, you know, seemingly untouchable um, allies. Can you talk to me about that? <laughs> because uh, you're pretty progressive. I've looked at your Twitter timeline. You, <laughs> we were talking you about your this research. in the car. I know. You just, you're yourself. You're yourself. I like to be. <laughs> yeah. But to do this kind of work. Yeah. 
I just wonder how you felt about it in the end, because you were working with people. I don't think the editor of Breitbart News is someone that you would hang out with with casually. Yeah. I don't think Ted Cruz would necessarily be someone you'd hang out with. But at the same time, you were striking deals with them. I just wonder Mm -hmm. if you could talk about that a little Um, bit. I knew that, not to get too into it, but I knew the kind of position I was in as a black American that there are going to be certain conversations that I personally might feel slightly uncomfortable in, or maybe I'm projecting my discomfort and thinking the person across the table from me is uncomfortable with what we're talking about. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to achieve, the lessons are already there. Like when you when racial tensions are um, or divides are prioritized over what needs to get done, nothing good happens. So my discomfort, their discomfort absolutely does not matter. It's what are we trying to accomplish here? Was there a moment of discomfort that you can talk about? There are some. I'm not going to name names. When you're researching some politicians, you look at what they vote for and what they vote against and what they refuse to acknowledge, even in their own states or to certain communities in their, you know, their electorate. And you think to yourself, why? But then you have to find a, you know, a point of contact into their office and make them see your point of view on something that's so important to you, but you know that it's probably not as important to them. I had to be almost cunning in a little way of like, how do I craft this email perfectly that they don't know what my, they they don't know anything about me. They're just seeing the message. How do I craft this perfect email? You know, when I when I get on the phone, how do I make sure they don't ask me about what state am I from? Who are you? They just want to know more about this bill. There's something else that bugged me here, though, which was Ted Cruz and Donald Trump will get credit for this law in some ways. And it's a great law. Thank you. It puts something really important out there, which is um, it opens up this information about horrific things that happened in our past. That we should not and cannot cower away from. We have to look at them. Of course. But the same people who put the law forward and will get credit for it, as they should, mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily put forward the kind of legislation that would prevent the kind of things that happened here? Well, they might not realize it, but I think they did. With whether they like didn't, this. whether they realized that is when they signed this law. Whatever their goal or motivations were for supporting us, honestly, that doesn't even matter to me at this point because what, what this partnership Um, however strange it may seem, has accomplished is our initial goal throughout, which is these families can have some semblance of justice and closure. And also going forward, maybe if we are able to learn from the past, like I think that's a wonderful thing to think about, that people who claim to be on opposite sides of an issue can learn from the very same moments in our in our history, because it's it's an American history. It's not just black history. It's American history that we should learn from. Aslan Wexler, thank you so much for telling me how to get something done in Washington. Thank you so much for having us on. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Aslan Johnson is a proud graduate of Heightstown High School in New Jersey. Stuart Wexler was her history teacher. And together with a bunch of other Heightstown students, they wrote and lobbied for the Civil Rights Cold Case Records Collection Act. And that's it. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by the phenomenal team of Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. 
You can follow me on Twitter. I'm over at Mary's Desk. You can also say hey by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really do read those and appreciate them, and they do help people find the show. So just go leave one if you haven't had a chance already. Talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.